Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to All the Wiser. I'm Kimmy Culp. All the Wiser is a one-for-one podcast. For every inspiring interview you hear, we donate $2,000 to charities around the world. I believe in the power of storytelling to inspire us all to think differently about the world around us. So I have combed the country for some of the most jaw-dropping stories you have ever heard. People who have been to the brink and back, stories of survival against all odds, and whose lives have been changed in unthinkable ways. Today's interview is with beloved ABC News producer and my friend, Monica Escobedo. Monica and I sat down in New York to talk about the day her brother killed her mom, dad, and himself in her childhood home. Monica shares openly about the days and weeks that followed, why she forgives and honors her brother, her commitment to ending the secrecy around mental illness, and how her mom and dad show up in her life today. Here's today's courageous and vulnerable interview with Monica Escobedo. Welcome, Monica Escovito. Thank you. And I should open this by saying that uh, this one's personal. Monica and I have been friends for, I don't know, 15 years plus. We worked together in our late 20s, so so she's a friend, and this one's personal, guys. All right, Monica, I know, but share with our listeners your upbringing. Tell me about your childhood. Um, I grew up in a suburb of Los Angeles called Whittier, California. It's about 40 minutes from Hollywood. And I grew up the oldest of three children, two parents who were together um, from the time I was born to the time they died. And yeah, that's basically, it was a great childhood. It was a suburban community, quiet. Did you know what you wanted to be when you, when you grew up? Um, we grew up actually watching the news as a family every single week together. Um, local news, 2020. Uh, so I knew I either wanted to be a journalist or a doctor. And you ended up going to college? Yeah, I ended up going to UCLA. So uh, before college, actually in high school, I was a candy striper for two years. So that was really a toss-up until I went to UCLA, what I wanted to be between doctor and journalist. But once I got to college and made even more friends, I decided to go the TV route. And then how did you end up getting your first job in news? So I went to the internship office at UCLA, and I flipped through the book because there was not really uh, internet postings at the time. And I flipped through the, through the book, and one of the first um, internships I saw was for Good Morning America. So I called, and I asked if they needed help, and the woman said, yes, please, definitely. Can, how soon can you come? And so my first job in the TV business was actually at Good Morning America and ABC News, which I am still here to this day, 21 years later. 21 years. That's incredible. And explain, Monica's a big deal at Good Morning America. She is widely known and widely loved throughout the music industry. But explain, if you can, in layman's terms, for those who don't understand news lingo, what your job is at Good Morning America. 
Well, it's kind of evolved over the years where originally I was working on entertainment segments and also news, so kind of reacting to the news of day and going out and figuring out what interviews to do, what stories to pitch um, to see what could be televised. And let's see, in 2000, I actually made the move out to New York to work for the ABC News headquarters to work with Diane Sawyer and Charlie Gibson. And when I came out to New York, it evolved even more. So now I'm working on even more entertainment as the years have progressed. So it's basically building the relationships between different celebrities and and pitching story ideas constantly to see, you know, what stories we tell for ABC News. Today, we're going to talk about the loss of your mom and dad and brother, which which we were friends, as I said, during the time when you lost them. Mm-hmm. I remember it well. Mm-hmm. And sort of how that's shaped you and the lessons that you've learned throughout your experience since. So walk me through where you were in, in your life the day before, you know, the day before you lost them. Um, well, that week I was exhausted because one of my jobs as a producer was to go out to the Super Bowl. You would meet with both teams. You would, um, you know, try to get interviews with the winning team. And in addition, there's a lot of musicians that are out there. And so I was out in Texas covering Super Bowl, and it was one of the best weekends of my life, um, career-wise, life-wise. And then I came back, and that Thursday— after Super Bowl, I had talked to both of my parents that week, and um, by Thursday, I was just exhausted. I was ready for the weekend. I started to really not feel well on Thursday, and then the next day, I said, you know what? I, I can't go to work. I'm taking the day off, and um, I don't know if I had a premonition. Um, and when did you first learn um, that, that something was wrong? So my sister is six years younger than me, and she had recently had a baby, and she had some complications as a result of having the baby, and so she had to have an emergency surgery. So the Thursday that we were talking about after Super Bowl, uh, my mom called me, and she said, okay, Michelle's having emergency surgery tomorrow, you know, but I'm going to let everybody know. I'm going to call you and update you tomorrow. Her and my dad were going to be in the waiting room, and they'd update all of us. And so the next day, I woke up. I wasn't feeling well, and I woke up to my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, basically saying, I can't reach your parents. I don't know where they are. Can you help me find them? So I said, don't worry. Let me make some calls. Being the producer that I am, I'm like, I will investigate. I will get on it. Don't you worry. So I called my parents. No answer. I called friends and family. No one knew where they were. I called the hospital. Nobody knows where they are. And so then I called my uncle because I'm in New York in my bedroom, 3,000 miles away, and I have no way of figuring out what's going on. So I sent my uncle to the house, to my parents' house, and he said, you know, I'm really worried. He's like, all the cars are here, the newspaper's at the end of the driveway, the porch lights are on. I just don't know what to do. They're not answering. And I said to go around back, and then he said, oh, my God, there's your mom. There's a puddle of blood. We need to call the police. And then he screamed, and the phone line drops. And so then I instinctively knew something happened with my brother. My brother was mentally ill, and I thought I did fear the worst, that maybe something actually came, you know, to fruition. And so I called 911. They were super not helpful. They said, don't you have anyone else you can call? This is going to take a long time. I said, it's not 310-911, it's 911. It looked like I need help. I really need help an ambulance and anything they could send. I just didn't feel confident in them, so I called ABC News. I called Alexa Miranda, who was my colleague who was at the news desk at the time. 
And I said, I feel like I'm about to have a panic attack. I think that something has happened to my mom. I think it was my brother, and I need help. This is the address. Can you please send the police? She called the L.A. news desk, and at that time, it had started to come over the police scanner that something had happened at my childhood home. And you knew, so when when your uncle shared that, you said instinctively you knew that your brother was involved. Yeah, I mean, my brother was, uh, he used to be an honor student, popular, um, just like, you know, just very into his friends and school. And then in his teenage years, when puberty kicked in, um, mentally he started to change. And at first we thought it was depression. We thought maybe he's just wanting to be more of a rocker outcast. But things got progressively worse. And by about 22, he had completely changed. And completely changed how so? What was what was his life like? From being really, you know, gregarious and in a band and, you know, driven to withdrawn and a loner and staying in his room and combative and openly saying, I'm having problems mentally, but I don't know how to solve it. I don't know what's wrong with me. And then from going to wanting to find a solution to saying, I don't know what to do, and just kind of taking himself out and sticking to being in his room. And, um, you know, I guess for a while, my sister and I kind of feared that something might happen. Just we would lock our doors at night when we slept just a few feet away from him. But, you know, you see that, but you're kind of in denial, you know. It's different when it's a family member. And was there a discussion, or was he open to medication, or...? He saw someone at first for help, and then he took medication. But, you know, it was years ago, and the medication wasn't what it is today. And it would make him very sick, and it would change his personality. And he was a musician, and it took away his creativity, um, you know. And so he just said he stopped taking it. And we tried to bring people to the house to help him. We tried to, you know, just try different approaches to get him the resources he needed. But he, you know, pushed away from it. And when you locked your doors at night, why did you lock them? I, I don't know. I, my, I found out my sister was doing it. I think one night I was just trying to go in and take a dress, and I found out she was locking her door. And then I started doing it, and I don't know why. I just did. I felt like a, safer, a little bit safer if my door was locked. And, okay, so we're going to go back to, um, it was Friday, right? When you called, yeah. when you called ABC. It was called ABC. And then the ABC called the ABC news desk and the police. And then I called, I got on the phone with the local police and I told them the situation and that I thought my ment- brother was mentally ill, that my father was missing. And they said, okay, um, do you think anyone else could be in jeopardy? And I said, oh no, that's all in the house. And they said, are you sure? And then I realized, oh, my gosh, my seven-year-old nephew is across the street. There's an entire elementary school of children across the street. And so that school had to go on lockdown. I luckily knew the teacher that had my seven-year-old nephew, and I made sure, like, please make sure you, no one takes my nephew. Just protect him. And she did. And, um, and so then as I'm sitting in New York City, I start rushing to pack a bag Everybody in L.A. Um, starts rushing to the house, like all the media, all the police, all the neighbors, all the community. There's helicopters swirling. I have to call my family now and tell them what I know. They rush to the house. And I'm just coordinating all of these efforts from L.A. Meanwhile, my little sister is in the operating room, and she has no idea what's happening. But you had to get from New York 
to L.A. Yeah, meanwhile, I'm, st- I'm still on the phone in New York. Um, eventually, I have a flight, and I end up um, getting to the airport. The flight is delayed and delayed. So this is now, like, for eight hours, there's been the SWAT team standoff outside of my house. And people keep hearing noises, and, and um, the SWAT team starts tear gassing my house. Um, with the tear gas comes the flashbang, which is what they, you know, use in their whole process. And um, this is your childhood home. This is my childhood home with the community outside. People hear the noises, and they are not sure if it's flashbangs or if it's shots fired. I guess evidently, I wasn't there, but evidently, like, family members start dropping just out of grief and shock. And then right before I boarded the plane, um, a police officer called me and said, we just went in your house. Your mom is dead, and there's two male individuals who appear to be your brother and father, and they're dead, too. And I just went in a state of shock, and I said, okay, thank you, and I got on the plane. And then I had to fly, you know, the six hours to L.A. So that was a long flight. I was kind of in and out of um, awareness, sleep, kind of just in total shock. And when I landed— Did you have anyone with you? I had Alexa with me, the person who made the initial call. And then Ben Sherwood, who was the president of ABC News at the time, met me at LAX at like 2 in the morning. Did you have anything to take to calm you down or you just had to white knuckle that emotion for six hours? I think I just white knuckled it. Some of my best friends were there, like Shin, my cousin Arlene. And and then we um, went from the emergency room to my sister's little tiny apartment. And I I slept on the on the ground and a couple friends next to me, and we all slept on the floor, and I was like, this is my new life. I can't even go back to my home. And my sister had been had moved into a tiny little two-bedroom apartment. She'd been living with my um, parents with her um, little kids, and while pregnant, she felt like Mario was acting up, like she thought Mario might be even poisoning her. Your brother. Yeah, my brother. And so she moved out to this little, what I call her getaway apartment, and then I ended up there. So then I stayed in... So there was a scenario in which your sister's kids were in the same house. This is actually crazy. So my sister was having surgery on Thursday night, right? And my parents were calling everyone. My parents understood that my sister wasn't going back to my parents' house because of fear of my brother. She was open about it. She said, I just feel like he needs help. And she vocalized that. But my parents said, hey, Michelle, you're having surgery, Come on, let us have the kids tonight. Nothing's going to happen. Let us take the seven-year-old, the five-year-old, and the three-week-old. Take a load off. You know, you can relax knowing that we have the children. Like, my parents were the best parents. And she said, nope, I just, just leave them. Just leave them with Philip, her husband. And so they went to Philip's house, to the little apartment. They said, hey, Philip, come on, why don't you relax tonight? Let us take the kids. And he said, no, Michelle said, leave them. Just leave them. So it could have been so much worse. It could have been my parents, all three children. I don't even know how we would have recovered from that. You know, I think children really help help you keep going after a trauma because you know you have to live for them. So when, um, wow, just to think about the fact that those kids could have been in the house. Mm -hmm. I never knew that. That was the first time you've shared that with me. Mm. So when did you first learn that your your brother had killed them. When did you get that piece of information? Or did you even need to know it? You, you- I knew it the second I heard about my mom. They weren't sure. My uncle could see her lying on the ground through the glass floor. And I said, I know she's dead. I actually said, I'm planning, I need a black dress for a funeral. I don't know why I just went into that. 
I said, I just knew. Like, I was so connected with her on that Thursday night. And my, I, when I called my aunt, I said, have you seen my mom? She said, no, but I was having heart pain. I had to go to la- the ER last night. And I called um, my grandma. I said, have you seen my, have you talked to my mom? And she said, no, but I was feeling so sick. I called my uncle. No, but I was feeling so sick. All, everyone was so sick Thursday night. And we were having chest pain and head pain. And they were both shot in the head and the heart. And I think we were just so connected to them. And what I found out later from, you know, talking to, you know, people is that my brother had been going to target practice for two months. He was having some weird actions at the end. Like he would um, operate at night while we were in the, you know, you know, everyone else is functional in the day. So you get up to get a glass of the water in the middle of the night. He's standing there like just in the kitchen. But the, the, the mental illness had really set in in a big way. Was there a diagnosis? Um, originally it was depression that morphed into bipolar. And then, um, in hindsight, he was schizophrenic after talking to doctors and after talking to my sister, who was like the closest to it, because he was talking to himself. He was, um, gagging himself. He was, um, you try to justify it. Me coming in as an outsider from New York where I lived, I would say, oh, he must be on the phone, but he didn't have friends at the end. He didn't have anyone. And the added layer of trauma on top of all of that was the, um, the tear gas is so toxic that it seeps into everything. So when the, the group, you know, the police went in to try to, you know, save my dad, they tear gassed my house. And so I lost, like, everything in my house, everything and everyone. And I spent months in a tear gassed home with bullet holes and broken glass taking inventory of everything. Um, oftentimes working alone, but I decided that that was going to be my task because I wanted to get as much money from insurance to help rebuild um, and get my sister into that house because I wanted to make sure that they had a home to live in. Which you ultimately did. Mm-hmm. And they rebuilt a beautiful new home where yeah. your sister lives with her family. Yes. Which is really cool. What were the days like that, that followed after their death? Um, it was a, a very raw, but I think I was in a state of shock until the funeral. And, the, you know, even at the viewing, I felt like this isn't real. This isn't what they look like. Like, I'm only doing a viewing for other people that want them. But I just felt very, uh, so much in shock. I don't think I cried for a month. Not really cried. I think on the one-month anniversary, when we had, we had lost my mother's wedding ring, and we found it on the one-month anniversary, and I think that's when it really when I allowed myself to grieve, because before I knew, my sisters just had major surgery. I could see the PTSD kicking in with her and my other family members first. She had a three-week-old that still needed to be fed. Like, we had things to do. And so I think it was really not until the one month that I, I really allowed myself to cry. I was at the funeral, which, several things to say. First of all, Standing room only, that place was packed, and people flew in from all over the country. I remember Robin Roberts walking away from the anchor desk and turning back and looking at her. So I think the love that you put out into the world and your parents was just pouring right back at all of you. It was amazing. Thank you. When you got up to speak, first of all, I had no idea how you could even... And the love and the eloquence and how articulate you were blew me away. And I think one of the things you did, which I know people were surprised and inspired by, was 
honoring your brother as part of that service. Because mm-hmm. um, there would have been families and sisters that would would not. Mm-hmm. How did you come to make that decision that the service was really about honoring all three lives? I really, from the start, I don't blame my brother. I think that he had, um, he got the short straw in life. He got a mental illness that was debilitating. It's a disease, even though it seems like a choice sometimes, that, you know, if you're depressed or having anxiety or whatever it is that maybe it's something you can control or maybe something that if you just worked a little harder and weren't so lazy that you wouldn't have it. But I watched it. I watched the progression of the disease. And we used to be best friends, my brother and I. So I feel like for me, I had so much sadness in my heart for him. My sister and I actually say to us, it's almost like our brother died 10 years before he did it, or Mario, when he was 22 years old. And he did this two days before his 32nd birthday. So for us, it was like a second loss, but unfortunately it played out in this way. There were so many times that we thought, well, he might just commit suicide, and that was already devastating enough. But to have it be so much worse, where he actually you know, killed the two people who loved him the most, that was, that was just heartbreaking. So it was important to me to honor him, because I feel like you always want some good to come out of some bad, and I feel like... You know, for so many years, my family and I didn't talk about mental health openly. There's a major stigma associated with it. And I thought, well, maybe it's time to just shatter that and use this instance to kind of try to make a difference. So maybe someone else doesn't have to suffer alone like Mario did. And you really honored that sentiment that day. Um, As I shared, you were beautiful up there. Thank you. I think people often don't don't know what to say. Um, And certainly... Your loss, the nature of it, the depth of it is extraordinary. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's beyond, I think, what most people can comprehend. What were the things that people said or did that were the most helpful to you? I think... um I think it was more hurtful to me if I could advise anyone trying to counsel a friend going through something. It's say something. Even if you don't know what to say, say, hey, I'm here for you. I think just knowing that, like... You're there. Like there were times um, that I'd want to talk about it. I want to go into depth. And there are other times I don't want to talk about it. I just want to go for a walk and like try to feel like a normal person again. So I think it was so great. Like I remember that you reached out and you were like, what can I do? And then instead of like just what can I do? Give me an assignment. You gave yourself an assignment. You're like, I'm doing flowers. And I was like, thank you, Kimmy. Like I didn't even think of that, you know, but it was just like it took that burden off of me, you know, and, and just knowing that you were like, even though I felt like I had a second job now, like to take care of the house and get my sister's spot rebuilt. Um, I felt like I knew you were always like right around the corner, you know, like I could always reach out to you. And I think people sending me funny things. (laughs) I had the worst insomnia, so I would be up for hours. So I would have people emailing me like two in the morning jokes. And I'm like, yes, I need to feel like life again. You know, I know in in talking to other people who've experienced loss of people that they love, that time moves on because at first, right, there's such a swell of, Mm -hmm. you know, conversation and support and wrapping, and then life goes back to normal, Mm -hmm. um, and that that can often be be a lonely place. Yeah. After you came back to New York, you're back at work, you're back in your day to day. What was that like for you? 
Well, I have to say um, I had really bad battle with post-traumatic stress disorder. So it, everything was a trigger. So you go to a movie and you think, okay, I'm just going to escape in the reality. I'm going to a romantic comedy. And then you will see a trailer and you don't realize how desensitized you are to violence. Like there's an, an actor with a gun and it's just a casual, you know, Friday night movie. But, you know, that's really jarring to somebody who's been through that. It kind of made me have a deeper appreciation for like my friends who've been through cancer and they're watching a movie and it just comes out of nowhere as a, a storyline. So, um, the just when I felt like I got into a good place in LA surrounded by people who totally understood what I was going through I didn't have to tell the story over and over again when I went to reintegrate into my life in New York it re-traumatized me because I had to go through all those first like oh here's the last place I was with my parents here's the place I was when I found out the news Um, and then I work with journalists who are the best journalists in the world so they're all interviewing me (laughs) you know they I don't think they mean to but it was it was a lot. I, I had trouble even walking to the news desk. And imagine, I work in a place where I cover murder. And I think that was my saving grace because I was so used. How many school shootings have we covered? How many, you know, Boy Scouts missing? How many hurricanes where entire communities are devastated? I've done all of that. I've been on the ground. I've, you know, been there holding hands. I've done a million candlelight vigils. But then when you have this experience and it's like, now I have my own candlelight vigil, it feels very like surreal and out of the ordinary. So I did what I call exposure therapy, where I just threw myself into it. I'm like, okay, that's going to hurt, but I'm going to keep doing it. Even at the house with like all the stuff that you don't want to find after something like that happens in your house, I just kept pushing through it. And I think my sister and I both did the same thing. I watched Law & Order a lot. Just that beginning sequence, just so that I could try to make myself a little bit more numb. And I finally feel like, okay, I did it. And ABC, if I remember this correctly, sort of protected you from those stories for a time and place. Yeah. Because, and I know from my time there, and if people are paying attention to the news, so often something catastrophic happens and People like you and I are sent into the thick of it. Yeah. So there, you were you were pulled from all those stories, correctly? Yeah. Eventually, originally I was protected, but then you can't control mass emails like Aurora College. You know, the Aurora, Colorado movie theater shooting happened, and it's not intentional. No one's emailing me directly, but I'm on every email. I had to, you know, literally just say, "Okay, I need to go to the beach this weekend," and I can't. I can't do it, Sandy Hook. You know, with the school, you know, a lot of people think that my brother, he had M80s and duct tape and ski masks. I I really do think his plan was to go to the school across the street. And, you know, a witness saw my dad outside of the house the morning after, and he went back in. So I do think he was trying to stop a school shooting. So there's, you know, lots of things that come up along the way that just kind of remind you of the situation. But yeah, ABC was great. and, and And that really led to me doing much more entertainment. Has the PTSD, where are you today with it? Has it softened? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's so much better. Now I can feel it. Now I feel like I can help other people. And then that's really important to me. It'll come up on anniversaries. Like it was my mom's birthday a couple of days ago, and I was a little bit foggy, um, you know, probably a little bit more on edge. But, um, but yeah, it's much, much better. Talking about the anniversary, I always see you post mm-hmm. pictures. You, the pictures of your mom at your age. You guys look like twins. 
What do you do every year to, to celebrate them you know, on I, the anniversary? It kind of varies on the year. When Is the anniversary the, the day of their loss or do you do their birthdays or how do you, or do you do it all? Mm, I do. I kind of do it all. I mean, I, sometimes I just know this is going to be a day like yes, on this past Sunday, it was my mom's birthday. It was marathon day in New York City, which is a big celebratory day. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to find some friends and I'm going to remember to celebrate her life because it's a beautiful fall day in New York City and that's what she would want. And so I went to the marathon finish line. I went to brunch. I saw some very dear friends that were in town and just kind of surrounded myself with love. I want to go back a little bit to your road of recovery. What were the things that were the most healing to you and where you had the most most growth? Was it therapy, acupuncture, faith? What what The fact that you're here today, the fact that you're having this conversation, that you are who you are in spite of this is is a testament to mm-hmm. who you are and your courage. But, but what was that road? A, a very uneasy one, I know. Well, it really, it started with, let's try out therapy. My sister and I tried, let's talk to a therapist. But honestly, it takes you have to find the right one. And a lot of them um, that we met with, I know this is not all therapists, but they felt like they couldn't really advise us. They would listen, but I felt like I have friends to listen. So I want guidance. I've never had therapy. What should I do? Should I go for a walk? Like, do I write things down? Like, I don't know. Give me some guidance. And I felt like I didn't really find my therapist person. There was one therapist that told me, well, maybe your parents weren't sophisticated enough to handle mental illness. And I just wanted to punch them in the face. Uh, so, you know, even like, I have to say, talking to different people, I have to say the crime scene cleanup crew guy, he really gave me some good advice during the whole process. Cause you're dealing with, you know, a situation where your house is destroyed, your life is destroyed. And he did this thing where he would go to crime scenes and deal with, I mean, he's the one that got my parents out of the house. And he kind of just talked me through other crime scenes. And I felt like as a former homicide detective, I kind of needed someone who had been through it, who had walked a day in this life because my friends certainly didn't know. But this homicide detective kind of gave me some good like life guidance and how to deal with the insurance process. And he's like, I see you're in your angry face. I'm like, thank you for recognizing that. But he would just make me laugh. You know, um, I think everybody's different. For me, one thing that really helped my sister and I was that every single day, no matter what happened, no matter how tired we were, we were going to exercise. So whether that was a walk together or a walk separate or um, a hike or a run, that was something that we did. And I think also like remembering who's still around you. My grandmother, very important to me. She's now 91 years old. She felt like she lost two children and obviously a grandson and, um, I think just being there for other people that that are still there, like your aunt, my aunt, and cousins, and nature helped going out in um, sunshine because when it's a dark, when you feel dark on the inside, you kind of need to go out in the light. And I'm lucky that I did this time in California because there is tons of sunlight. But you, you know, there's something very healing about outdoor locations like the ocean. Do you think this is something you will? ever fully recover from? No, I don't think I ever will fully recover. I think it's a gaping hole in my heart, but I think it does make you stronger. I think you don't think you're as strong as you are. And they so cliche. I know everybody says it. Somebody told me, like, I always hope that like with the 
only with the deepest sorrow could you feel the most amazing joy. And I think that that's so true. It's like I didn't have a hard life before, you know, life was good. And so once you go through this, though, you realize that you can kind of do anything. I want to talk about rebuilding your parents' home. I think that there are a lot of people who would have walked away and mm-hmm. said, this is, this is where it happened, the memories, the trauma. You know, I can never go step foot on the soil again. And you guys approached it in such a different way and I think such a beautiful way. Um, why was it important to you to rebuild your childhood home and have your sister raise her family there? It was so important to me because it was something that my parents had worked so hard to build to give us this amazing life, this great childhood. You know, they had to put themselves through school. They were the first ones in their family to go to college. And to them, it was like they had made it, you know. And I didn't want to throw away all those great memories that we had there because of one bad situation, you know. I feel like It was such a happy place for most of the time and such a happy childhood and life that I just felt like I want nothing more than my nephews to grow up there. And it was really, um, it's a place, like I don't feel them at the cemetery. I feel them at the house. You know, I I remember, it's, it's hard when you've gone through a loss like this. Part of the thing that happens with the PTSD is memory loss. So... For me, it really triggers a lot of the good memories to be there. And happy ending when my sister moved in after (laughs) the rebuilding process was rough. You know, it takes a while. But um, after my sister moved in, she got pregnant. So now she has four little boys. How often do you think about your parents? All the time. I always think about what would they do in this situation? What would, you know, I kind of like think, how can I make a difference in this world? And that's all been instilled in me by my parents because they were all about giving back like every single day of their lives. And I think about like, you know, whenever I have a major accomplishment, like I wish that I could call them, but also I I get a lot of signs. I know not everybody gets signs. I know it's very odd, but I have a lot of um, mediums that come up to me. Tell me those stories. What are some of the ones that have been the most um, profound for you? So, I mean, for five years, People would come up to me all the time. Like one time I thought this guy was hitting on me at the furniture store, but no. He was like, I'm a medium. I need to tell you things. I'm like, okay. Another time, I used to call my mom like every day on the way home from work. And I was in a cab and it was pouring rain. It was my first time back in New York City. I was going to meet a friend for dinner. And a guy comes through the bar, seeks me out and says, you have messages your mom wants to talk to you, and your mom loved the rain. I'm like, whoa, that's not – you can't even Google that. Like, how <laughs> do you know that? How do you connect and communicate with them? I always look at my phone, and it will say 1111, which is the sign of the guardian angels. I'll get random, you know, spam emails from Debbie Escobedo. My aunt will get one that says, from Debbie Escobedo, I love you. You know, songs that mean something to us will come on. Uh, my mom loved um, – the Beatles, Imagine would come on at all times, you know, completely randomly. But yeah, there's things that are just unique to us. Hummingbirds are big. Hummingbirds have actually followed my sister and I. Or, you know, my my little nephew will be watering and there's like a ray of sunlight over him. He moves to the front yard, the ray of sunlight moves exactly over him. So you feel them and you see them. Yeah. And they see you. Yeah, definitely. When we talked about doing this interview, what... You said that you had learned something about intuition that you thought was important to share. 
What have you learned about intuition? I think that, you know, my sister had a very strong intuition that something could be going on with my brother that was much more serious in nature. Like, I think I had blinders on, and even though I locked my door because I was a little bit scared of him, I didn't really hone in on it. Whereas pregnant Michelle, with her spidey sense, was like, something could be amiss. Like, I am moving out of the house. I'm like, okay, you're being a little dramatic, but... You know, but she's like, nope, I'm sticking to it. Like, I am, I just feel like something could happen. And looking back, there were different, definitely different times where I was scared of my brother because, you know, he would be um, loud and, and he would, he would have, there were times where I would, you know, run and hide the knives and lock the door. You know, he'd push family members down to the ground. And, you know, I wish that um, I had kind of focused on it a bit more and made more of an effort to try to, really get some other figure involved to get him help. Does your brother show up for you too? Yeah, he does. Every time he comes through, he's he's crying. He's um, he's so sorry. They say he's working with mentally ill people, trying to give back. <laughs> oh, other people come through too. My grandfather, Prince. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, he's very um, apologetic when he comes through. The other thing that was important, and you, we've touched on this and you talking about it, is as far as giving back to others, what does that look like for you now? I work at a network which has a giant voice, a giant platform. And so my thing is really helping to destigmatize mental health and starting that dialogue because I think with dialogue comes you know, a community solution and change and people saying, hey, I'm not alone. And Maybe we can find a solution together or maybe I, you know, can find a resource to get help. And so, you know, it's been really great that somehow different people come and want to share their stories. Like I just had Michelle Williams of Destiny's Child on this past Friday and, you know, everybody saw her on top at Coachella taking the stage with Beyonce and just crushing it. And then privately she was battling depression. Her fiance didn't even know. And so she decided, you know what, I tell everyone to get help when they need it. So she checked herself in and she got herself help. And I thought, how great is this that I can push her forward on not one, but two shows where she's sharing her story and little girl or boy at home will say, hey, because Michelle's talking about it, I will. Or along the way, Demi Lovato has shared her story many times. There's been numerous stories that we've been able to tell. And and now I kind of have a different perspective when we cover these horrible shootings, you know, I am the sister of a shooter. I see how science can be ignored. And I think that, you know, for me, like, that's something else with the intuition, like, just kind of trying to find a solution. And how do we, how do we move things forward? What good can come out of this bad? What did you come to understand about yourself as a result of everything that's happened to you with your family? that I'm not (laughs) unbreakable, that you can definitely go through like the lowest points ever, but that you have to be really self, I am really (laughs) self-disciplined. So I think like when there's no parents to, you know, kind of kick your butt or encourage you that you, you realize like how self-motivated you have to be. But if you keep motivating yourself and putting one foot in front of the other and and maybe I could only do a baby step at first but like eventually you can you can reach the top of the mountain how does the world look different to you now I think I'm a lot more empathetic my sister and I always think about like you know 
before someone's parent died, you think send them a condolence and a week later wouldn't think about it, you know, but like that loss is with you and a piece of you for the rest of your life. And so I think, I think I feel a little bit more connected to everyone now. Robin Roberts always says everybody's got something. Your life can change in an instant. And so it really makes me appreciate the moment a bit more. You know, even if it's a rough day, I try to think about like what I'm thankful for. What do you do differently now? Um, I think I'm a bit more spontaneous. You know, if somebody says, want to go to Grand Cayman tomorrow, I might. (laughs) Um, Or if I don't feel like doing something because I know like self-care is really important, maybe I do need to go get that massage. Maybe I do need to balance it out, you know. I think uh, at first the saving grace was really throwing myself into work and working like a crazy person. But it's made me like even more driven to try to make a difference, to make to do make sure that I do stories that matter. All right. So this is what I call rapid fire. Mm-hmm. So we wrap it up. So I'm just going to share and then you finish or repeat back and finish. What matters most is? Friends and family. My gift to the world is? Hmm. Awareness. My favorite piece of advice is? Don't sweat the small stuff. My biggest vice is? Pasta. For sure, pasta. (laughs) My favorite hour of the day is? Morning. In 10 years, I hope to be? Happy. If I could have one day with my mom, dad, and brother, I would? Go to the beach. You're so awesome. (laughs) Thank you. So Monica Escobedo, my friend, thank you. You are an inspiration. Where can listeners go to find out about your latest happenings on social media and all the incredible things that you're always up to, my friend? Mon 1950. 1950 is the year that my mom was born. And Monica Escobedo. All right. Thanks, Monica. All right. Thank you so much. It was nice chatting. Today's interview with Monica supports Give an Hour. Give an Hour provides free mental health services to service members, veterans, their families, and other populations in dire need of mental health care. Their network of nearly 7,000 mental health care providers activates in the wake of devastating natural disasters and tragedies such as mass shootings. To learn more, check them out at giveanhour.org. And don't forget to head on over to allthewiserpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter. Thanks for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.